to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Hi, and thanks for joining us in this episode of Pharmacy Hot Topics, where we sit down with content matter experts and discuss what is currently top of mind in the world of pharmacy. My name is Dr. Christine Cooper, and I am a director of scientific projects and special projects at ASHP, and I will be moderating today's discussion. Today, we will be chatting with Terry Jorgensen, who is a National PBM Program Manager for Clinical Pharmacy Practice Integration and Model Advancement at the VA's Pharmacy Benefits Management Clinical Pharmacy Practice Office. We will also be joined with Drs. Elizabeth Bentley, Dr. Bentley is a Director of Clinical Pharmacy Services for the Northwest Region of Kaiser Permanente. Dr. Marissa Brizzi, who is a Clinical Pharmacy Specialist for Pain Stewardship at UC Health. And Dr. Dara Johnson, who is a Clinical Coordinator and the PGY2 Ambulatory Care Residency Program Director at Providence Medical Group. Our discussion will look at opioid stewardship and tackling the management of one of the most challenging areas in healthcare today. Thanks for joining us. So for our first question, Terry, why is it important to have an opioid stewardship program? Thanks first for having me on the panel. This is such a hot topic. You know, it feels like we've been battling the opioid crisis forever. And then the, the unfortunate truth is that it's really just gotten worse, especially during the pandemic. And just this past week, the CDC released a report showing more than 100,000 deaths in a year, the highest ever recorded. And it just is heartbreaking um, to see it continue. So having a, a dedicated opioid stewardship program with solidified leadership support really sets the stage to systematically and holistically prioritize targeted actions that can focus on opioid safety and safe pain care and ultimately um, help with overdose prevention and all of those um, issues that we find with the opioid crisis. Uh, mainly being just losing so many lives. Thank you. And Liz, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I couldn't agree more uh, with Terry. It's really there to promote patient safety and ensure quality of care. Promoting public health efforts in the community um, really was taken aback by those stark statistics that Terry mentioned that came out recently on hitting that all-time high in overdose deaths largely due to increases in synthetic fentanyl use and really drives home the importance of having opioid stewardship programs. And I did want to reference that the ASHP Opioid Task Force, which met in late 2019, spent a lot of time identifying solutions to address the epidemic. And I would really encourage people to reference that for best practices and how pharmacists can play a role. And these opioid stewardship programs are really integrated into the overall health system strategy. The tactics may be discrete, but it's really difficult to separate this from the overall care that your patients receive in your organization, your hospital, your health system. And it's really important to allow that time and focus from various healthcare professionals, um, including pharmacists. 
And this isn't just stewardship, but we use that word stewardship. It really segues into pain management, opioid use disorder, substance use disorder, and diversion prevention. So it's really seeing that complete picture so we can promote safe quality care. Thank you. Marissa, would you join in with your thoughts as well, please? Yes, of course. So I feel it's important to have an opioid stewardship program at your health system because it helps us really prioritize all things related to pain management and harm reduction. I think it's nice because we are able to collaborate with members across all different specialties, including you know, nursing, pharmacy, physicians. We have a great quality improvement team within our health system. You know, we're able to all kind of sit down and think through ways we can help improve not only pain management within our health system, but help reduce any of those negative um, consequences of opioid use as well. So it's been really great for us to be able to kind of come together as a team. We, we meet every other month at our institution and think through ways that we can help improve pain management for our patients and then help kind of reduce harm within our community as well. Well, thank you for those. And last but certainly not least, Dara, what are your thoughts on why it's important to have an opioid stewardship program? Yes, uh, thank you for including me in this conversation. And I couldn't agree more with what the others have said about this. The opioid epidemic has been affecting communities across our country for so many years now, and it just continues to get worse, especially in certain areas. And it's really affecting people regardless of their age, gender, ethnicity, and nearly everyone knows somebody that's been affected by chronic pain and opioid use disorder. So I really think the opioid stewardship programs across all health systems is very important to really ensure that everyone not just really understands the risks associated with opioid uh, use disorder, but also receives appropriate chronic pain management to get a safe and effective treatment regimen um, that ideally doesn't include opioids, but that we use them safely if necessary. That is wonderful. Thank you very much. So Liz, starting with you, how did you approach establishing a comprehensive opioid stewardship program? It is such a big topic. Yeah, and this is a really important question. Uh, I think it's really key to start small and focused and understand where your organizational strengths and opportunities are. And this is going to be different for different organizations. You can build over time and you don't have to do it all at once. Um, programs in our organization have been in place since 2008 or 2009, so for more than 12 years. And it's not reasonable if you're starting a new program to try and implement all that we might have in place, for example. So even within an organization, a particular site may have unique challenges, and it's important to address those. For example, in Oregon and Washington, we noted that there was a particularly high use rate of opioids and some unexpected outcomes based on medical evidence at the time that considered the risks of opioids differently than from what we might today. And we started with patients taking opioids chronically at high doses and ensured they were receiving appropriate monitoring, such as brief pain inventories and urine drug screening. And then we looked at that and we tapered doses to lower or completely off as appropriate and provided alternatives for pain management, like others were mentioning, and also looked at opportunities to better manage 
opioid use disorder. Um, so, you know, really looking at where you might have opportunity in your organization, picking a place to start and growing from there. Thank you. Marissa, how did you approach establishing an opioid stewardship program? So it can be definitely challenging to establish new committees within health systems, especially if you're working at a larger academic medical center as well, which may already have like multiple hospitals and multiple committees. You have to kind of justify why you would like to start another committee. So when I started at UC, it was back in 2019 and it took me uh, quite a few months. We didn't have our pain stewardship committee until 2020. And a lot of the challenges that, you know, you might face initially is kind of trying to figure out, okay, what, what is the need within our health system? And I spent most of the first couple of months really learning what was in place already within the health system, um, meeting with kind of our key stakeholders who were leading in maybe smaller scale pain committees at the time. The biggest barrier that I learned within each individual pain committee at the different hospitals was that there wasn't a big collaboration across the health system. Um, and then whenever there were perhaps projects that they wanted to start, they weren't really sure who to bring them to to get them started. So one big focus with our pain stewardship committee was figuring out a way that we could collaborate across health systems, collaborate with committees above us, and collaborate with committees at the individual hospital levels as well to make sure we were set up for success in, in a way that we supported one another throughout everything that we did. That's insightful. Thank you very much, Marissa. And Dara, how did you approach starting a comprehensive opioid stewardship program? Yes, um, we are uh, similar to Liz's organization at Kaiser, where uh, at Providence, we're a large health system in the Portland metro area and across several different states. Um, but here locally, we started with a multidisciplinary team with a very large number of stakeholders who were interested in developing a program but didn't know where to start. And I think that's what can be pretty complicated about it. And as Liz spoke to, you know, what our program looks like now um, is very large and robust, but what we started out was smaller. And I think that taking a look at one small piece that you can focus on as you get started is important. Uh, but we had a multidisciplinary team with all different healthcare providers and leaders within our organization come together to develop chronic pain treatment guidelines to help educate all different uh, team members and healthcare providers to be able to properly treat pain with other areas of healthcare like physical therapy, rehab, including behavioral health. And, and so we approached it from that angle. Um, for the most part, and then implemented some procedures and policies to be able to uh, support the providers. Well, that's excellent. And Dara, you bring up an excellent point on collaboration that we'll get to in just a minute. But before we do that, Terry, how did you get started with your opioid stewardship program? Wow. So there's so many moving parts, like others have mentioned, um, to opioid stewardship. And, and the first step that we took was really to establish that leadership support. It, it needed to be a priority for the organization. Um, you know, with the VA, I work at a more global level and 
we tend to try to help facilities all across the country, VA facilities all across the country get started. And so the, the first and foremost is that passionate or that leadership support with identifying some passionate leaders who will take the reins at a health system level um, and have key stakeholders involved across all disciplines, across all service lines, um, and, and to really get together and establish a vision for an individual system. So with 141 facilities, everybody looks a little different. Um, we started with some things that were pretty basic, like I think Liz mentioned, which was urine drug screening and, and what we call some of our opioid safety metrics, um, PDMP checks, high-dose opioids, opioids and benzodiazepine combination, those kinds of things to try to get a handle on some of those um, obvious risk mitigation strategies. And then really getting a better understanding of what influenced opioid stewardship and what needed to influence the program direction to, to really get that solid foundation and then the vision and then from there um, make prioritized steps towards full implementation. So a stepwise approach is critical um, to keep it from being so overwhelming. I'd say the really nice thing about the AP ASHP Opioid Stewardship Certificate Program is that it really gives you those building blocks for, for success. So it lets you take it step by step, makes it less overwhelming, and really can help any organization get started with that individualized approach that's so important. Thank you very much, Terry. So returning back to our discussion on collaboration, Marissa, how do you encourage collaboration between all of the healthcare team members that are involved in opioid stewardship? So we have a lot of uh, leaders throughout the health system who, before I even started, were really passionate about pain management and increasing access to medications for opioid use disorder and working with our community partners to increase access to anything related to harm reduction in the community. So. Starting off, I, I was already gifted with a lot of passionate leaders, which made things really easy for me. Um, the big thing that is what that I found successful was we have a lot of different projects within our health system. And in order to be more successful at our pain stewardship meetings, is I usually work on a smaller scale with individual leaders of projects to kind of work with them, help them get the projects off the ground and moving forward. And then when we meet at a committee level, usually it's, you know, a brief overview of the project, looking for feedback from the entire committee. And I think presenting it this way is helpful uh, because we've already gotten a lot of the small details ironed out with the smaller groups. And a lot of the leaders of those um, projects do have a lot of passion during the meetings and, and are able to kind of facilitate a lot of feedback from other committee members. So it really helps us get good meetings together and get projects done in a pretty timely fashion as well. Well, thank you. And Dara, you've already touched on this a little bit, but can you expand on how you encourage collaboration? We have the larger opioid stewardship uh, committee as well in our organization. And we really encouraged leaders from all different um, healthcare settings and um, a multi, basically a multidisciplinary team to come together uh, to basically provide information into the workflows and policies that were put into place so that everybody was agreeing and on board 
with those different um, pieces of the opioid stewardship. And then that really just filtered down into the people doing the work and really providing education to any of the healthcare disciplines that needed education on proper treatment of chronic pain, uh, the risks associated with opioids, um, including, you know, naloxone prescribing. And so we really encouraged lots of collaboration and even set up time within our clinics for meetings to discuss specific patients if necessary or to provide that education that was needed early on um, in the adoption of this program. Thank you. And Terry, how do you encourage collaboration? I know that's a big key, big part of what you do. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Um, well, first of all, we we cross over to so many different disciplines and program offices and so forth. So I think that that's, you know, that communication um, and consistent, uh, dedicated, targeted communication is so key. Um, but I think the other piece is really just making sure that everyone is engaged in opioid stewardship being everyone's job. So no matter what level you're at um, and really just engaging those key stakeholders spanning across the organization again, every service, every discipline, patient advocates, community partners, everyone um, with a forum that really encourages and values bi-directional communication. So when people feel like their opinion is heard and valued and considered as part of the program direction, it tends to bring people on board. And like Dara mentioned, you're hard pressed to find anyone who hasn't been affected by the opioid crisis, either personally or professionally or both. So looking for opportunities to engage some of the passion that's out there can really lead to some great contributions. Um, recognition of strong practice collaboration or strong collaboration practices really goes a long way in creating some healthy competition for others to jump on board. So really leveraging the talents that you have to contribute to the process and the product is, is just so important. Well, thank you very much for that insight. And Liz, uh, would you please expand upon how you encourage collaboration? Sure, happy to do so. Definitely hitting on some of the same themes. Um, leadership commitment is so essential. And like Marissa mentioned, similarly for me, that passion was already there when I started this work about eight years ago. Um, really having those shared goals that the whole organization is driving towards and all play a part in achieving. And that includes making sure people have regular updates on progress and risk points. So they're super engaged in that process. Also telling the story behind the numbers because sometimes we get lost in a bunch of data, but it's important to remember that every number represents a patient and making sure that those stories are heard. Um, letting us know when things go well, letting us know when things don't go so well, so we can learn and adapt from there. Uh, also encouraging identification of new opportunities from stakeholders, making sure we're involving all disciplines and approaching it from a population health strategy and perspective. That really helps to create shared ownership. So then it doesn't come across as this is a committee goal or this is one person's goal. This is really an organizational goal that we came up with together and making it easy to understand how to drive improvement. So supporting our efforts with content and the health record system, using those population health tools. For example, if you have a goal around providing appropriate quantities post-surgery, you wanna make sure that all your content and materials are aligned. You are spot on there with it being an organizational goal. 
Um, and so thank you all for sharing your insights on how to encourage collaboration. It's so important in this arena. Dara, what has been the most challenging aspect about developing or maintaining a successful opioid stewardship program? Uh, yes, I think this is an important thing to think about when starting an opioid stewardship program, but also keeping in mind that despite the challenges that come along, that we just continue to press forward and really think about the goal um, at the end. And so a couple challenges that we had along the way was that we had so many passionate people involved uh, from the very beginning that sometimes it was so many people trying to make decisions um, that made it kind of slow the program down a little bit. Um, and then more recently, I'd say maintaining engagement in the program. Um, while there's still a lot of passion, everybody is very busy, um, especially with everything going on in the pandemic. And so continuing to maintain that engagement. Um, we had our early adopters who really changed their practices based on um, data that we were giving them. But those that were maybe later to adopt the challenges of opioid prescribing, really, um, we focused on those. And, and that has been a little bit of a challenge as well. Those are interesting. Terry, what sort of challenges have you been experiencing as well? Are they similar to Dara's or different? So our, our challenge in the beginning was really having dedicated support. So, so to have a dedicated, highly functioning program, you really need dedicated resources to do so. Asking people to help lead an opioid stewardship program and not giving them dedicated time was a big challenge. So we had pockets of opioid stewardship programs at, at our different facilities functioning at various levels for a few years. And, and now we've, we have dedicated um, funding and, and resources um, that are allocated. So the programs are more complete with better training and implementation support and direction. And like we kind of touched on earlier, it's just such a big, ever-changing, widespread topic that you have to be ready to sort of pivot and anticipate changes to opioid stewardship on a, on a routine, regular basis. It's such a dynamic topic. So it's just, it, it's, it's, it's such an, a critical piece. Um, and, and I think we learned very quickly that it, not having those dedicated resources really was a hindrance to um, be going where we wanted to go and, and really achieving the goals that we wanted to. Well, thank you for that. And Liz, what sort of challenges have you experienced? Yeah, there have been a, a couple challenges. One is that we're a very large organization with more than 12 and a half million members spread across the country. So from the West Coast on east to the Washington DC area, Virginia, Maryland. And we have 39 hospitals, 730 medical offices, 24,000 physicians. So if you think about the reach of the organization, really each area has its own strengths and opportunities. If you think about even in the United States, the geographic challenges that vary. So we look to find commonalities to drive performance improvement when we're working as a national program. And we also have differences in state regulations that necessitate some changes. And it's really amazing that given all of this, we've been able to align on common goals and drive toward improvement. Um, a benefit of this is that it does offer the opportunity for best practice sharing. And then we had some initial impediments to using our pharmacy tapering service, um, primarily being that physicians felt confident in completing the taper on their own. 
patients may have been reluctant or not have bought into it or had limited awareness of the program availability or concerns that it wouldn't be a long-term resource. But we've really been able to work through those over time and we're not seeing those similar concerns, but things to keep in mind if you're considering implementing a similar program. Well, thank you for that. And Marissa, what sort of challenges have you experienced? So I think one of our biggest challenges getting started was trying to figure out which metrics are the most meaningful when tracking progress on pain stewardship initiatives. Since pain stewardship programs are still a relatively new concept for health systems, we didn't have a ton of guidance from the state or federal level on what metrics to track, but this is definitely getting better with time, especially as we have more and more pain stewardship pharmacists across the U.S who we're able to collaborate with as well. I, I have a handful of pain stewardship pharmacists at different institutions who I have on speed dial for any questions or guidance I might need, especially when it comes down to different metrics. The biggest thing is some metrics be really broad and opioid prescribing is very different when it comes to like acute pain versus chronic pain. So sometimes it's kind of hard to make an intervention, let's say on the acute pain side, and figure out the best way to track that from your from your metrics as well to make sure what you're doing is appropriate for patient care. Well, thank you. And then Terry, what have been the keys to success for your opioid stewardship program? Well, it has it really has helped to have the opioid stewardship leaders um, from different expertise um, with that de dedicated time to to manage the program and really have help set the uh, stage for the right foundation and direction. So we have our opioid stewardship coordinators who are mostly clinical pharmacist practitioners along with pain consultants and primary care pain champions. And again, they all have dedicated time separate from their clinical responsibilities. Um, but having the, the three leaders really gives a different lens from each that really helps lead that better program implementation that's more holistic, more complete. Um, and, and really a shared responsibility that sets the stage for that to happen throughout the medical centers. Our stewardship coordinators have 80% of their time dedicated to program management and 20% to clinical care. The pain and primary champions have 25% of their time dedicated to stewardship and the rest of clinical service. So they have the time to work together to, to really focus in on those individualized goals and 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 that vision. The second piece I would say is the academic detailers and their educational efforts, along with those population health dashboards that are that have really been used to help prioritize um, and reprioritize as time goes on and things change. And then the third is making it real. Like the success stories are so valuable and it can really help drive change. So you probably have some providers. Um, I know we have had some that have been you know, a little hesitant to treat OUD outside of a specialty care setting and taking away some of the fear and replacing that with success stories can just be so powerful and moving that needle in the right direction. Well, thank you for that. And, you know, I, I really enjoyed hearing that you um, have some dedicated staffing time specifically for opioid stewardship with this being such the big problem that it is right now. Hopefully that will help move the needle in a in a better direction for us. Um, Liz, what have been the keys to success for your op opioid stewardship program? 
There have been just so many key areas for success, and I think we've all hit on some of them. And I'm really going to focus in on a couple specific areas. One is pharmacy support. So specific to our program in Oregon and Washington, um, our tapering and monitoring service works in partnership and supports our patients and physicians. Specific to pharmacy tapering, the prescriber first always has a conversation with the patient on what the goals of therapy are and why tapering may be a good option for them from a safety and a quality perspective. And during that conversation, the provider may decide tapering isn't the right approach or that they would like to complete the taper themselves or that they would like to refer the patient to a team to manage. And once the patient is referred to our pharmacy program, a pharmacist on the team completes a review and they determine whether the patient would most benefit from full tapering support, a tapering consultation, or referral to another service. In addition, all Kaiser Permanente areas leverage academic detailing, and that can include things like working with providers to identify patients eligible for an intervention, looking at patient lists and comparator data to help the prescriber see how they compare to peers, and developing patient-facing brochures and physician education. The second key piece is really leveraging telehealth, which has been especially important during the pandemic. And this includes both individual patient care as well as virtual groups. Well, that's wonderful, Liz, especially the inclusion of telehealth. Um, I know that has made a big difference in a lot of clinicians and how they're able to reach patients right now. Marissa, what sort of, what have been the keys to success for your opioid stewardship program? So one thing that I've been really happy to have involvement with is a really strong team that's trained in improvement science. So we have uh, a lot of members of our pain stewardship team who are uh, trained in improvement science, who are non-clinical, and they have taught me so much about process improvement. And so most of our, well, actually our entire committee has been based off of like key driver diagrams and failure modes and effects analysis. And these are all things that I wasn't familiar with before starting this position, but have really helped kind of guide us in the right direction on how to prioritize different initiatives, how to figure out what metrics to track, and how to really have an organized way to really see all the different key focus areas of our committee and how we are working towards improving those different key focus areas every day. So that's one thing that I thought was really unique to my training here at UC Health was being able to work around a group of people who had all this background in improvement science that I did not have. And I really appreciated all their guidance on all of our projects for pain stewardship. It's one of the ways to show it really does take a team. (laughs) It really does. Yes. Yes. Dara, what have been your keys to success for your opioid stewardship program? We have lots of things that have contributed to our success, and many of them have been mentioned already. Um, A strong and supportive leadership within our organization, of course, is basically really required, I think, to make this really successful. Developing a way to identify and track our data to understand our trends, and I think that really helped us to understand where we at currently with the opioid crisis in our health system, and then where are we going or where do we want to go? And having support to develop a way to track that was very important. 
And then another piece that I think is really important is is what has also been mentioned, but a well-supported integrated clinical pharmacy department in our organization, specifically within our primary care clinics. We have many clinical pharmacy specialists that provide direct patient care and help to also track the data for their particular clinics, along with providing education to the providers about optimal chronic pain management, and they also assist with opioid use disorder treatment. So I think all of those things really have made our program successful. Well, thank you very much for that insight. And Liz, I have a question that takes us back to really the foundation of an opioid stewardship program. Um, How does an opioid stewardship program translate to better patient care? Yeah, this is such an essential question and really at the core of what we do. Um, We're looking to, as we've mentioned, improve patient safety. It also increases quality of life because we can address what may be a true cause of a patient's pain. We can increase patient engagement in involving patients in setting their own goals. Uh, They may have a goal to be able to spend more time with their grandkids or They might want to try to walk a marathon, whatever motivates them, really letting patients be in the driver's seat. Um, We also may identify underlying opioid use disorders that shift an approach to treatment. And we've heard on our survey results that going through a supported either tapering or dose reduction or, or discontinuing use helps people get their lives back back on track. And it's really pretty remarkable. Uh, Patients mainly rate their pain as either unchanged or improved. Um, And as one patient had noted that they wouldn't have been able to go through the process at all without the extra help and all the support and knowing that there's someone there that cares. That's really, really great to hear. Um, Marissa, how have you seen it improve patient care? One way I've seen improved patient care is with our acute pain. Uh, One thing that we like to do here is create patient education and create order sets that can help, at least on the discharge side, for our patients who have acute pain after surgery. Uh, We've created a lot of order sets that really bring in that multimodal therapy to ensure that that's always on board for patients. We've had our surgical teams kind of sit together and think through how they would rank different pain severities of different surgeries that they do to help kind of think through what number of opioid tablets should we give our patients based on the type of surgery they receive. And then within each order set, we have education that is aligned to the order set that guides our patients through how to take multimodal therapy, the role of their opioids. So one thing that we've done is really helped streamline a lot of the management for patients after routine surgeries. And and we always make sure that, you know, the clinician is still personalizing the pain management to each patient, but having those resources in place at the start to make sure that multimodal therapy is on board, patient education is happening, um, or that we're not over-prescribing opioids in the first place has really led to um, improved pain control and Um, Our providers really do feel like this helps benefit them, especially to streamline how they are prescribing opioids after surgeries. This is one thing that I think has shown how, you know, working with one another and working with a larger team can really help improve patient care as well. Thank you. And Dara, how have you seen opioid stewardship programs translate into patient care? Better patient care. Yeah, I completely agree with what Liz and Marissa have said about really optimizing 
treatment for pain and and helping um, in that way. I think also another component is it really, by having an opioid stewardship program, you're reducing stigma associated with chronic pain and opioid use disorder specifically. I think that that really helps people to feel more comfortable with getting treatment um, for either of those conditions. And I, I really think that that does translate to better patient care when they feel more comfortable getting the care that they need and where they need it. I wholeheartedly agree with that. Thank you. And Terry, how have you seen opioid stewardship programs translate into better patient care? Well, in addition to the excellent points that have already been made, I I love them all. Um, I think, you know, when we think about opioid stewardship being truly everyone's job and everyone incorporating stewardship principles into their roles and responsibility, whether it's leadership, academic detailers, or frontline providers, and leveraging our technology and, and, and really all the team members' talents, there are just so many fewer missed opportunities for harm reduction, risk mitigation, and of course, overdose prevention. So example, if we are looking for that opportunity to offer a patient naloxone, regardless of why they came to their visit, um, or offering medication for opioid use disorder in the ED, where it's traditionally, you know, not necessarily part of the package. <laughs> so just thinking fully about those opportunities across services, we're just making it so much easier to save lives and not miss that opportunity to do so. But the converse is true as well. If we're not embracing that opportunity, we we will continue to lose lives and, and really this uphill battle. Um, so just the other piece, and I think it's important to, to continue on that stigma um, conversation for a minute, but engaging in these principles really the, reduces stigma related to pain, mental health, and substance use disorder care because there's just so much overlap and patients have historically been stigmatized um, across all of those chronic disease states. And at the end of the day, this can be transformational <laughs> in helping providers improve their comfort and confidence in providing care to patients in a more normalized way. So, so really bringing it into practice is just so important to that, to reducing stigma. Thank you very much. And Marissa, what is a commonly held belief about opioid stewardship that you disagree with? I don't know if these are all commonly held beliefs, but I will say one thing that I'm the most excited about with pain stewardship is in trying to kind of improve access to harm reduction resources through our program. I think some providers and some patients and members of the community, as I mentioned, do have some stigma related to patients who are living with opioid use disorder. So I think being able to spread awareness on, you know, what resources are available within the community, what resources are avail available within our health system, trying to provide education on the role of harm reduction. I think some people think that, you know, when we provide patients with naloxone, it's going to encourage um, non-medical use of opioids and perhaps lead to increased overdoses. But, you know, we have data showing that it's not associated with increased non-medical use of opioids. It actually is associated with reductions in opioid-related overdoses. So the biggest thing I think that we're able to do with our pain stewardship committee is raise awareness with the role of harm reduction services and try to reduce stigma related to patients who are living with opioid use disorder and just focus on improving access to treatment and harm reduction resources when they're not ready for treatment. 
Well, thank you for that insight. And Dara, what have you heard is a commonly held belief about opioid stewardship that you disagree with? Yeah, I um, definitely agree with what Marissa mentioned. And and I also think that it um, some people think that might, might be too large of a pro, uh, problem for their organization to tackle and how to start or or where to start or who to get the program started could definitely be um, something that could be a held belief that's difficult to overcome. Um, and then I also think that some think that if there's an opioid stewardship program implemented or being implemented in the organization, that they're against treating the chronic pain and against use of opioids. And I don't necessarily think that those are all completely true, that really it's trying to reduce harm for patients and providing the best care um, that is safe and effective. Thank you for that insight. Terry, what are your thoughts on this? Well, that was an excellent one. (laughs) So opioid stewardship and opioid risk mitigation definitely does not mean that um, everybody should stop their opioids. It's more about the the appropriate um, and safe use of opioids, right? So I think that's, for me, the first one that comes to mind, and it has to be a very thoughtful process um, so that we're truly meeting the intent of, of what we're trying to do with safe opioid use. I think the other, just in terms of the stewardship program in general, is that the, that opioid stewardship is a checklist of actions with one size fits all. And as we've already talked about, it really should be an evol- evolving process um, that you know continues to reassess the needs of the organization and the patient population and, and change along with that. And then the last one on my list is kind of a hot topic for me is, you know, that you need an X waiver to provide OUD care. So pharmacist practitioners really have such an important role um, as the medication expert in providing comprehensive medication management services. And the same holds true in pain management and opioid use disorder, despite not qualifying for an X waiver. Uh, And so I think that's a really important point to keep in mind how, how important it is for collaborative care and really leveraging everyone's talents on the team to improve access to this much needed care and and how the pharmacist fits into that equation um, is just so important. Yes, Terry, thank you very much. I agree on that. Um, And Liz, to wrap us up on this question, um, what's a commonly held belief about opioid stewardship that you disagree with? I definitely have some similar thoughts to what Dara and Terry said um, around the it being taking away opioids or policing opioid use when it's really meant to be more a holistic approach to pain management and other associated conditions. And I, I'd like to encourage people to think about it more similarly to antibiotic stewardship. Um, you don't typically hear things about that being more policing. It's more, this could be the right medication for you. It might be a different medication that's more appropriate, or it might be no medication at all. And here are some other things we can do. Maybe that's exercise. Maybe that's acupuncture. Maybe that's massage. It could be a a whole host of other things. So I think thinking about it from that clinical lens and trying to stray away from the perception that it might be more about being the opioid police. Well, thank you very much. So for our next question, there is a lot to manage within an an opioid stewardship program. So Dara, I'm going to start with you. How do you continue to learn and keep up on changes for opioid stewardship? 
Yes, this is a, an important question because as we know, information and evidence does change over time and, and we gain more knowledge. And so I think it's a very um, kind of a complicated way, but um, there are multiple ways of keeping up and starting, I think, with, you know, your organizations that depending on which discipline you're from. So for pharmacists, going to ASHP's um, Opioids um, Stewardship Certificate Program, of course, and um, using the CDC for their information, I think is all really good places to start. And then keeping up with the literature and the evidence that's keeping, that's coming out um, that changes practice. And then um, I think learning from other disciplines is really important to kind of hear and understand what they are um, facing and what they are learning is really important. And then our organization, uh, we always provide education on the latest and up-to-date information with the evidence. And so we we um, write that up and submit that to our providers and other healthcare disciplines. So that's one way that we really try to keep up with all of the changing landscape in the opioid stewardship and opioid use disorder topics. So. Well, that's really, really great. Thank you. Terry, um, in your case, how do you keep up on changes within opioid stewardship? I think it's really important to have those multidisciplinary views and and to bring those into the discussion that goes back to assessing and reassessing trends and practice and evidence, uh, looking internally at program outcomes and the influencers of those outcomes and what's working, what isn't working, um, ensuring a mechanism of feedback from other stakeholders and including the front line and being, you know, just ready to pivot like I was talking about before, there's so many different influencers, things that we've learned along the way. So in the beginning of opioid stewardship, we thought of, you know, what, you know, what, what is it that, it, it, that, we're, that we're doing here, right? And it started with a lot of metrics. But really, we've learned over time that, for example, you know, we have a VA study that shows even if we're tapering off opioids, um, we still need to follow patients because they have a higher risk of death rate in that first year. So we still need to be very engaged in, in what's going on with those patients even after the tapering happens. Um, so I think that's just one example. You know, there, there's other data that, you know, if somebody misses one day of, of their opioid use disorder medication, they're at higher risk for overdose, right? And so I think it's important just to keep a very close eye on those influencers that are that are out there through publications through communications um, that really tell us the, the right direction to go and, tr- and try to stay on top of that very actively so that we're, you know, we don't fall behind in what we're trying to do. Well, thank you. Now, Liz, you have a special instance where you are responsible for multiple states and knowing how to manage opioid stewardship within, within those multiple states. Can you speak a little bit to how you keep up on changes within the, that particular instance? Sure, absolutely. Uh, certainly, organizationally, we we have practices across multiple states, and that's where really making connections within the organization and leveraging shared knowledge is really important. And then also knowing who you can go to outside of your organization if you you don't have the information that you need. And I will say I've already gone to people that I met through the ASHP Opioid Stewardship Certificate to say, I remember you talked about this. Could you tell me how you approached it? And do you have any ideas for this situation? 
So I, I can't emphasize enough the importance of, you know, making those connections. And I think there's just so much information out there as well. It's it's almost not, it's almost the opposite problem of having information overload where you need to be able to distill it down to what's most essential to your practice setting and run those ideas by other people to kind of get a, a gut check, those stakeholders, not just in pharmacy, but in other areas of practice. Um, another key help here can be um, getting involved with quality organizations like National Quality Forum and Pharmacy Quality Alliance uh, to get updates and understand what's new in the measurement landscape, because you can often tie that back to your organizational goals. Well, thank you. And Marissa, how do you keep up on changes? Well, it definitely takes a village to keep up. Um, we have a legal team that really helps us keep up to date on legislative proposals. Uh, we work with our partners at the county level to keep us up to date with what's going on within our community surrounding us. And then I would echo what everyone else says about trying to focus on, you know, what's going on in the literature and trying to see how we can learn from other institutions on what they're doing and how they've been successful with their pain stewardship programs. Whenever I attend any sort of pharmacy state or national meetings, I'm always looking out for any sort of pain stewardship presentations to try to learn from others as well. I think I think that's one thing that's been really helpful is is finding a pharmacy community that has a lot of trial and errors and talking about what they've done at their institution that they found helpful. I've gotten a lot of my, you know, ideas and inspiration from other pharmacists who have done great things at their institutions as well. Thank you for that. And on to our last question of the day. Terry, let's start with you. What's the best piece of advice you could give someone who is interested in starting an opioid stewardship program? Well, this is an interesting question, but I'd say the first thing is really to find others who are passionate about it, about the topic of opioid stewardship and collaborate. It's really an all hands on deck situation. It definitely, like someone just said, takes a village. Um, this is not a one person job. It, it's it's certainly something where collaboration is needed. Um, and, and really that helps a lot with thinking about the direction and vision and having that sort of different lenses looking at the topic in, in a very um, global way. So uh, I guess the last piece would be start with one step at a time once you do get that vision um, and not don't try to do everything at once because it, it really does take a while um, have that prioritized systematic approach and, and ask for help get get others to um, be part of the part of the program and part of the direction well that's so true especially with such large programs feeling overwhelmed when you realize everything that needs to go into it in order for it to be successful um, ensuring that stepwise approach is fantastic thank you terry um, Liz, what would be your piece of advice? Yeah, I'm really just kind of bullet pointing some of the things we've all hit on. Don't try to do it all at once. Like Terry said, don't try to do it alone. Use resources to find where you have the most opportunity. There are publications out there and lots of established programs to leverage learnings from. Design your program with the resources you have. So you may have dedicated resource, you may not be starting from that point. And as a reminder, we've said it multiple times, the program manager or lead doesn't run the program. We all are responsible for stewardship and best practice sharing is essential. 
Don't hesitate to reach out to someone in your community or even another organization who's been involved with an innovative or effective program. And this is really challenging work and we all need to lean on each other to support our patients. That's a fantastic list. Thank you so much, Liz. Marissa, what are your thoughts on the best piece of advice you can give someone? I agree with as well with try not to do everything on your own and try to work with others who share the same passion as you about improving, you know, pain management and increasing access to harm reduction services. I think the biggest thing that's helped is really focusing just on patient care and focusing on doing what's best for the patients and knowing that the metrics will always follow that. So focus less on the numbers and just, you know, think through what you think would be best for your patients. And then I think everything else will follow well from there. Well, thank you. And Dara, to close us out, what would be the best piece of advice you could give someone who is interested in starting an opioid stewardship program? Yes, uh, I couldn't agree more with what everyone said. It's all excellent points. And and I definitely agree with what everybody has said that it it really does take a village to get this um, implemented into an organization. And the work is never really done. I think that's really important to as you start out and really try to create a culture surrounding treatment or the optimal treatment of chronic pain and treatment of opioid use disorder, that um, it really is, the work is just never done and, and that that's okay. And you are just working day by day to create this culture that's optimal with less stigma surrounding the treatment of chronic pain and opioid use disorder And then last, I think finding that champion or champions in your organization to really help um, so that you aren't doing it alone is also a very important piece. I think that's very insightful. Um, I I very much appreciate the remembering the why that this is being done, Dara. That was excellent. Thank you very much. Um, So that is all the time we have for today. I want to thank Terry Jorgensen and Drs. Liz Bentley, Marissa Brizzy, and Dara Johnson for joining us today to discuss opioid stewardship. If you haven't already, I encourage you to check out ASHP's Opioid Stewardship Certificate. This self-guided online program is designed to increase the knowledge and skills a pharmacist needs to develop an opioid stewardship program from infancy through maturity. The professional certificate can be completed 100% online and offers up to 22 continuing education credit hours. Thanks again for tuning in for this session of Hot Topics in Pharmacy, and we hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Please be sure to subscribe to the ASHP podcast through your favorite podcast provider. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.